We used to come here for school retreat. We would swim to that island every day. I love the water. We used to lie out on the sand and let the sun dry us and try to guess the names of the birds singing. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. Master who? Cyphodeus. Is he not the Jedi who hired you for this job? Never heard of him. Really? I was recruited by a man called Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan. Curious. Do you like your army? I look forward to seeing them in action. They'll do their job well. I'll guarantee that. Thank you for your time, Django. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 467, Attack of the Clones, Act 2. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Django Fett, we've got Carl LeClaire. I'm just here to look at all your clones, Jason. Well, they're very impressive. I hope you like your army. Uh, get out of my apartment because you're starting to creep on me. Yeah, well, what's, I'm starting to creep on you. What's creeping me out is that there's literally a miniature clone of you. <laughs> I mean, hey, uh, I wanted that, you know, they, they gave it to me as part of payment here. So, you know, I'm just making the best with what I got. So that's all. <laughs> oh, well, we are so close jason to the actual 20th anniversary of attack of the clones which is of course on may the 16th of 2022 um and uh yeah here we are in the meat of this movie we're gonna dive into act two um which is essentially the way we we're charting it jason as we're going from anakin and padme landing on naboo up to Anakin killing some Tuscans. <laughs> so uh-huh. that is where we're going to, uh, we'll end it in act two. Um, so yeah, ah, my goodness, I have been, I have been having so much fun these last few weeks, just talking all things attack of the clones. Um, and then today, as of recording the new star Wars novel by Mike Chen called brotherhood just dropped. Uh, I was fortunate to have some time off this afternoon to just sit in the beautiful sun out back and I read the first hundred pages and it is an awesome sequel to Attack of the Clones. Um, if any of you are you know, wondering, oh, is this a book I might want to read? 
If you like Attack of the Clones and you like Matt Stover's Revenge of the Sith novel, this is in the same spirit, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. And Jason, I know you've got it downloaded on your Audible and ready to go, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, after after we're done here uh, recording, I'm going to go out on my walk and I'm going to start it. So I'm very excited uh, to, to check out this book. This, you know, I've been looking forward to this book ever, ever since I heard it, it was announced. Uh, just because it's exciting to get something uh, about Anakin and Obi-Wan in this time period. Of course, you know, like you, Carl, I would love for a little bit more in the, you know, pre-attack of the clones Anakin and Obi-Wan time frame, but I'll take what I can get here. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and there are some really great moments even early on in this book, some great characters that we get to see, some great new characters um, as well. So I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, in the next, probably in the next month or so, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this book because it's, it's right up our alley, Jason. Absolutely. Um, I can already tell. And Carl, Carl's already told me he's loving it, which means if he's loving it, like I love attack of the clones, then (laughs) I know I'll like the book. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. But, um, yeah, so you know, as as all of you know, if you've been following along on our Attack of the Clones journey, we're continuing that twentieth anniversary celebration. Uh, next week, we'll actually wrap it up. The week of the twentieth anniversary, we'll we'll wrap it up by looking at the final act of the movie before we dive into some pre-celebration and then Kenobi coverage. <laughs> like that's right around the corner, which is wild. Yeah. I'm super excited. I'm I'm bummed I'm not going to be able to go to Celebration. It's the first Celebration in the States that I haven't been to since Celebration 6, Carl. Yeah, I mean, same is true for me. I'm yeah. super bummed I can't go. Um, but uh, it is what it is. Life sometimes hands out circumstances that you're not as crazy about, um, and you roll with the punches. But uh, all the same, doesn't mean we're not going to be covering it and and checking out the panels that stream online and of course we've got friends going who are gonna i know be anxious to to share everything that they hear from the floor so um and and we'll definitely have some you know post celebration coverage of stuff that happened um particularly since that same weekend i will be at phoenix fan fusion which is the new name for phoenix comic-con um and myself, Joey Letson, and Kyle Avery, Kyle Baca, uh, are going to be doing some panels, including one where we kind of basically, you know, uh, address some of the big things that have come out at Celebration. It's on Saturday, so hopefully most of the big stuff will have already been announced by Saturday afternoon. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that, and we'll have that panel here as long as the audio turns out great. So... Excellent. So, Jason, when we last left our uh, our heroes, mm-hmm. Obi Wan was off to investigate some mysterious planet called Camino, and Anakin was off putting moves on Padme. He was. <laughs> he was uh, talking about how he's encouraged to love and all of that fun stuff. So. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, what? when I think of just in general, like act two of this particular movie, it's I mean, it's really a mystery story and a love story interwoven. I mean, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. I know that's pretty obvious. But, um, you know, as as Obi-Wan is in, investigating this 
you know, kind of this galactic threat. Um, Anakin is kind of giving into his own, his own passionate desires. And in an interesting way, I would say that both stories have galactic consequences, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan's is kind of that, that macro view. Um, This is going to be what creates an entire galactic war, but Anakin's inner turmoil around falling in love um, is also going to have some dire consequences as well. Yeah, definitely. It it is it is interesting that while while Anakin's focus is definitely intensely personal, uh the ramifications of the choices that he's going to make in this personal experience is going to have galactic consequences for good and bad. Um, you know, going forward. Uh whereas Obi-Wan's kind of, you know, maybe in retrospect might not be as important in the long run. So mm. yeah. Um, it's important for the short term cause it gets the clone wars started. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but, uh, well, so as we kind of zoom in on, on what's going on in the story, they, you know, Anakin and Padme land on, um, Naboo. And the first thing that just kind of grabs my attention that I think is worth noting is when Anakin's talking to Padme about how the uh, the people loved her in power so much that they tried to amend the Constitution to keep her in power, and she's very quick to say that she you know she was relieved she was ready to be done you know that's that's not how democracy works um, it's not about just making up the rules as you go along so that you can have popular rule um, and I mean I love that because it's it's just the counter of Palpatine. You know, Palpatine's been in power mm-hmm. as Supreme Chancellor for much longer already than he was supposed to be because he keeps creating emergencies and issues and all sorts of stuff to keep himself empowered. So Padme is his foil. Like she is nothing like him. She respects the system. She respects democracy and the way that that works as opposed to Palpatine who's always doing everything he can to get more power. That's a really good point. You know, I, you know, I knew up here that yes, Palpatine has has, has worked the system to remain in power. You know, beyond his two terms, which you know, as far as we can tell, are are roughly like our presidential terms, two four year terms, um, is what it appears to be. Uh, you know, he's he's managed to stay in power long beyond that because it's ten years since he became Supreme Chancellor. Uh, and that's a little unnerving, but it's almost glossed over a little bit in this movie early on. It's, it's mentioned, but it's sort of glossed over a bit. And then we get this, you know, intimate moment between Anakin and Padme where she says, yeah, no, I was glad when my two years were over. And she, you're right. It is, it's foil and counterfoil between Palpatine and Padme here. And ultimately it's interesting because they're the ones that Anakin is going to have to choose between. Mm. That's so a good point. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you've noticed this every time you watch Jason, but uh, I, I've always loved that as they're kind of coming across that one bridge and then down on the right are the two Gungans talking together and, and like, they're like, Una, Muna, Pasa, Pasa, right? You can yeah. actually hear them like speaking Gungan. Um, yes. And I've just, I've always loved that there's two of them there because it just, it just shows that in the decades since the Battle of Naboo, like the, the the Gungans are finally like 
regular members of Theed society. Um, I've always kind mm-hmm. of wanted to see like a Gungan on like the royal court. Like when we then go into the courtroom, like it'd be it'd be neat to see if like one of the advisors of the queen was a Gungan. Um, but small steps, and it doesn't mean there isn't. But it, I mean, those two certainly looked like dignitaries the way they're dressed. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I just I've always loved that little caveat of of having Gungans there in Theed. Yeah, they they definitely uh, look like members of the Rep Council, which is what the council is called, um, that we see in the Phantom Menace. So, um, yeah, no, they they're they're dressed in very similar fashion, and it is it is a nice little uh, note to see because you know as as we saw in the Phantom Menace ten years ago, they were very divided as a people. You know, for as beautiful as Naboo was, there was. Uh, still a very stark division between the Naboo and the Gungans. And now we are seeing that sort of integrate and heal 10 years later. Um, I'm sure it's not perfect and not as uh, advanced as many would like it to be, but it is nice to see that it is actually happening, you know, because these things always take time. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it is nice to see that. And I think it would be interesting to see one on the Queen's Advisory Council, but I think the Advisory Council is made up primarily of, like, you know, governors of Naboo cities. So oh, maybe that they wouldn't sense. be there. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Because, you know, uh, Sio Bibble is governor of Theed, yeah. uh, and that's why he's on the council. So yeah, apparently there's no terms to that role. <laughs> <laughs> he's been there a while. Right. And, he, he's been there for many, many years, probably yeah. much longer <laughs> than even the Phantom Menace. So. Yeah. I mean, well, in, in E.K. Johnson's book, Queen's Peril, I mean, when she when she is aduc- inducted as queen, he's there to do it because <laughs> he's already governor. So, yeah, yeah. It's, he's been there. He's been there a minute. Um, uh, but, but of but, course, he, he's, he's the one who's always talking about how it's unthinkable, you know. Well, and that, and I think that's the that was something I was going to note on next is the fact that he does make that you know the claim about how there hasn't been a full scale war since the formation of the republic, and again just just kind of giving us that contextual understanding that in this galaxy far far away there hasn't been a war in hundreds possibly a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's. It, it's up for debate when the Republic was founded. I think High Republic has, in my opinion, screwed up the timeline a little bit because it seems like the Republic's not that big 200 years prior to A New Hope. But um, that said, you know, it's it's yeah. just kind of pointing out, though, that th- this this idea that the, the galaxy is coming to the brink of war is just unthinkable in the eyes of Sio Bibble. Like, that, this just isn't what's supposed to happen. Right. A, a full galactic war on that scale isn't, you know, shouldn't be happening. Um, and I think from, you know, what we've been told, the Galactic Republic was founded, I believe, about a thousand years almost before the Phantom Menace. So it's it's been quite a bit. Uh, no one in current memory has ha- seen a full-scale war on the level that we're about to with the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So not even Yoda. <laughs> right. Right. That's that, that would make sense. Yeah. And even Yoda hasn't. Um, uh, yeah. So. Um, well, you know, there, there is all, of course, the tension between Anakin and Padme because, you know, 
Anakin is enjoying the fact that he's he's now got his own mission um, for the first time, and he's trying to take control of it and trying to to treat it, you know, uh, with with importance. Uh, but Padme is back in the very familiar halls and circles that she used to run not that long ago, and kind of just takes over, um, which is understandable because she knows what she's doing and she is right. You know, she's very knowledgeable about the areas, so he should take her suggestions into consideration. But um, after just a wonderful little walk into the palace together, they have this moment of tension, which I always found a bit amusing because it's right in front of the queen and governor Bibble. And (laughs) I'm sure they must be laughing just a little bit behind their serious faces. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and I think this is something that comes up a couple of times uh, in, in this movie, particularly in this second act here, is how volatile Anakin's emotions are. I mean, he can mm. he just changes on a dime so quickly. You know, a little bit later, we'll talk when she brings up Paolo a little bit later. I mean, he just he's so quick to just get upset. Um, and uh, yeah, but right, but like it's like you were saying, it's because he's he's finally in control of a mission here, and he wants to seem confident and, and and in control so uh as soon as that that that's challenged he he gets all huffy he does he does get huffy excuse me i'm in charge of security my lady yeah <laughs> it's like you just said that in that tone to padme <laughs> <laughs> who is a galactic senator and former queen uh the look she gives him right after that is I would not want to be on the receiving end of that look ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, our story then picks up with Detective Kenobi down on the beautiful planet of Kamino. Um, I I love Kamino. It's such a cool design. I think it's it's one of my favorite planets in Star Wars. Um, Topoka City is just so cool looking. It's it's fantastic. It's obviously very, you know, 1950s uh, flying saucer inspired, um, but it's it's super cool. It's like, you know, if the Roswell aliens had a civilization, it was from Camino is kind of the idea right. <laughs> I get. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what I just appreciate with with Obi-Wan showing up there and, and kind of in, when his meeting with Lama Sue is just showing off his improv skills. I think they're very mm. impressive. Just his ability to to go into this mysterious space, be presented with these really bizarre facts and to just kind of roll with it, to kind of play that, to play the part, to try to just unravel this mystery uh, is really a, 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 te- a testament to just his, his skills, you know? Um, he's kind of floored by all the things he's learning, but just just continues to roll with it as, as, as facts are revealed to him. Yeah. I mean, if he had gone, you know, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I have no idea what's going on here. Can you please explain? He probably would not have gotten half the information that he ended up getting, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very important. He probably wouldn't have been able to meet Django. Uh, I feel like that's proprietary information that the community ones probably would have kept from him, um, you know, at least not without a fuss. 
but yeah, he he very easily sort of just slips into, oh yeah, sure, of course I know what's going on. It, it, remind me again, and the only sort of like uh, time where Lama Sue ever seems to like be put off balance is when he mentions that Sifidius is dead now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so otherwise Lama Sue is just on this like pitching the the product and everything like that you know he's in his element so <laughs> yeah yeah um and and in in this whole meeting there it sets up i think some really big questions in this movie that don't really get answered fully um mm. and 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 even the intricacies of them don't get answered in revenge of the sith i mean they, they certainly have been teased out much more because of clone wars um, mm-hmm. But this whole mystery of Sifo Dyas, um, it's it's so funny too that the, that whole mystery part came because of a typo in George's script that he just rolled with. So originally it was supposed to be Sidious, so just like a kind of mixed up way of saying Sidious. That's what it was originally mm. supposed to be. Is that Sidious ordered the order, ordered the clone army? But when I guess when George was typing it up, he misspelled it as Sifo Dyas. Um, and they just created this whole other character who was a Jedi. So it's just interesting that like that was something very last minute that George did and with the script and changed like a huge part of the movie because it was originally <laughs> going to be a little more just streamlined. Like it was Sidious who did it. He did it in secret, right? He had Dooku kill. Actually, he didn't have Dooku kill anybody. He didn't have to because he just he ordered the army and bided his time um, and pre- just uh, pretended to be a Jedi. Um and then, uh, yeah, he, he made a typo, and now we have this mystery of Sifo-Dyas and, uh, you know, in his relationship with Dooku. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and the fact that it all essentially happened right around the time of Phantom Menace, too, right? He's Sifo-Dyas has been dead nearly 10 years. So all of, you know, everything that was happening um, in Phantom Menace got delayed in a way. Right. Um, and even, you know, I mean, we know even from one of the clone wars episodes when Maul comes back and he says it started without me referring to the clone wars. Um, Mm -hmm. right. So Sidious has been having, has had this very specific plan in play for a while. Um, but because of a typo, George made it up a little bit differently. (laughs) So, yeah, that is funny. Um, but yeah, we, we've definitely had some interesting, uh, attempts at uncovering that mystery uh over the years you know they tried to give it a little bit in the uh plagueis book i Mm -hmm. believe yep um and then obviously clone wars took a stab at it um in one of the later seasons uh season six um so yeah it's it's still not fully explained um but I think it's a bit clearer now than it used to be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, then we get to the prettiest place in the entire movie. Yes, Lake Lake Cuomo, Italy, um, otherwise yes. known as Naboo. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I you know this is this is a much maligned scene by by non Attack of the Clones fans, right? Like Attack of the Clones fans. Even even if like, I mean, I love this movie, and I I'm well aware that there are some issues with it, but I still love it. 
But for the Star Wars fans, they're like, that movie sucks, and this scene is sucks. Like, I just, I think, I just think they're very wrong. Um, yes. And and I love it because in the beginning of the scene, it's it's Padme kind of reminiscing. There's this nostalgic spirit to Padme, and. Let's face it, as Star Wars fans, nostalgia is a key component of being a Star Wars fan. So the, 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 the high that we get as Star Wars fans when we're kind of being nostalgic about things, that's the same high Padme is riding on in that moment when she's kind of telling Anakin about growing up and coming up to this lake country and swimming with her friends and trying to guess the names of the birds. There is this very nostalgic spirit to her. Um, that, you know, she's, she's having fun, which we can surmise. She hasn't had a lot of that in a long time. It really, since her really young childhood. Um, mm-hmm. and there's something about Anakin where she feels comfortable enough to open up and to be, uh, to be excited to share these stories. Um, and then of course she kind of makes the reference to how much she loves laying in the sand. You know, she loves the beach. Um, yeah. And and I love how Anakin gives that memorable line that is so important about not liking sand because he grew up in a planet where it was everywhere. And it was also, you know, for him, laying in the sand was a constant reminder of his poverty, right? He laid yeah. in the dirt all the time because he was a slave. He was property. Um, so it also kind of highlights that social difference between the two of them like yes Padme's always been doing wonderful things for people in need but she has never been a person in need right there's there is that huge separation between her and Anakin um and uh and that's what I like to me that's that line is perfect because it reveals a lot about Anakin it reveals his disdain for where he comes from um yeah and and his you know the other thing about sand uh between the two of them is it's some place for Padme that she gets to go to and experience, mm. you know, in a very specific setting. For Anakin, he couldn't escape it. Great point. Yeah, you know, it it it's literally everywhere. The planet is made of it, uh, and it's just inescapable. You know, and you know that that's a totally different lived experience for the two of them, uh, involving one. Very simple, you know, item of topography. So, uh, which is really funny. Um, but, you know, he does make a little bit of a, a joke out of it in order to turn it into uh, a pass at Padme. Um, <laughs> sure does. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, we can, de- you know, it's not nearly as smooth as it probably sounded in his head. Um <laughs> But yes, then then they kiss, and we have the wonderful moment where John Williams swells the orchestra, and then it just sort of like immediately stops when Padme pulls away. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I think what's what's interesting to me too is is Anakin is there's there is a, like a there's a childishness to the way Anakin's acting there. He's he's testing the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's trying out a line, and as he's saying smooth, he's touching her. Um, gauging her reaction, and then he just leans in and figures, I'm going to do it until she tells me to stop, and he does it until she tells him to stop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I I really enjoy that scene. <laughs> it's, it's a good scene, you know, because it is this, you know, 
for as awkwardly acted as it might have been, and for sure as you know, the, the dialogue could have been written much better. Um, it does sort of give us sort of a, a a picture of where these two people are coming from in this relationship together, and then you know, it does have the first instance of, should we try this? And Padme's not initially opposed to it until in the middle of the kiss, she realizes what's actually happening and says, no, no, this isn't appropriate. This isn't what we need to be doing. Right. Her, her, her job, you know, kind of comes back. Yeah. Uh, And, and that's, you know, that's the, where it ends there. And Anakin is a bit confused and flustered at the end. And it looks like he's wondering, did I do something wrong? Um, mm-hmm. When in reality it's probably just Padme saying, no, I can't do this. This is, this is not something I, I can allow myself to do. So, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, in a technical way, Anakin did do something wrong. He's not supposed to, he's not supposed to be doing that. Right. Like, no, he I mean, I don't agree with that Jedi code, but that is the code. And he made that promise. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's and that's the thing is, is like I I, it's, I don't all of Padme's reluctance in this movie, I think, has less to do with her own station it has more to do with Anakin's. You know, mm-hmm. she, she's allowed to date. She's allowed to marry. She's a senator. Like there's no there's no prohibitions on that. The prohibitions are all on Anakin's side. So, again, like she has to kind of be the adult because he's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and she is, you know, trying to uh, think about, about his station and she's very concerned about him, you know, being able to follow his own code mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So that's a lot of where she's coming from. Plus uh, I've, you know, as we explored very heavily in the novel, she doesn't feel like I would imagine uh, that she needs to be concerned about a personal life or, or that sort of thing at this point. Like her job is to stop the, the separatists um, from declaring war with the Republic and to, you know, maintain peace to stop the military creation act um her job is very much this public servant and and this is you know this is unnecessary and not what she should be doing for herself mm-hmm. you know yeah and and i think that's very beautifully explained in the novel and if you missed our conversation on the novel of attack of the clones just a few episodes back with her buddy jazz so you should definitely check that out yeah yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like when I've when I've been thinking about a lot of the scenes here from the act two, it's I'm trying to make sure I remove what the novel had about it, because, again, the no, the novel expounds so much more on these scenes and, and in a very in a very wonderful way. So, again, also just a plug, if you've still not read the Attack of the Clones novel and are interested, I highly recommend it. Um, Indeed. Uh, but, yeah, then uh, we're back to Camino with Detective Kenobi. Um and uh, he's you know, walking across, walking by all these vats of cloned babies. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And something that struck me as I was watching it this time, Jason, and it's, it's a line, obviously, I've heard it a zillion times, but 
uh, it just hit me a certain way is when he when uh, Lama Su says we've modified their genetic structure to make them less independent. To me, it's like, wow. So like they are kind of slaves, <laughs> like in a way, like there's there's a there's a lack of freedom that they have then. Right. You know, like clones can think more creatively. They're not like automatons like droids. But at the same time, you're modifying them in such a way that they're not super independent, right? So there is still an element of control here. So I just I just think that's worth noting because I th- I think in some ways the Republic can feel maybe a little bit of a higher moral ground because it's like, well, we're not just creating, you know, machines of war. We're at least, you know, using human beings. But it's like, yeah, but they're altered human beings that are subservient. So I don't know. I just I found yeah. that quite interesting. We modified their genetic structure to make them uh, less independent than the original host. And who you was know, the original uh, host? Yeah, uh, you know, and it's the the original host, Django Fett, who is a very independent bounty hunter. Um, and that's part of why he's so good at what he does. But yeah, it it, it is, you know, and, and just before that, he says they are completely obedient, taking any order without question. You know, they are designed to be uh, creative soldiers, but to always follow orders, mm-hmm. you know, and we, you know, we see that in the Clone Wars uh, when when some of them start going wrong, uh, you know, good soldiers follow orders, good soldiers follow orders, um, you know, so it, it's it's a very interesting, interesting and, and morally ambiguous, dangerous line that the Kaminoans are are walking, um, mm-hmm. morally speaking. Uh, and But they don't seem to see it that way. It is pure business. These are, are the products of, you know, that they are, are happy to sell, and it's the best in the galaxy. So uh, they don't, you know... I don't they think don't morality matters it. to them. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's not. They, it's they not. don't view morality in any way with with clones. You know, it's right. it's not it's not what their business model is. So yeah, uh, yeah. And well, and and then of course the there's that great shot of Obi Wan looking over the the marching soldier battalions, and we get the swell of another great piece of music, but it's the Trade Federation march. Um, and I've always loved that we don't get the Imperial March till the end of the movie, because um, then that's really hitting you mm-hmm. over the head with what this is going to be. But I love that it is the Trade Federation March because that was the theme that John Williams created for Episode One as the March of the Enemy. And it's just interesting to see that Obi-Wan sees this thing that's supposed to be for the Republic, and yet it's the villain's theme that is playing from the prequel trilogy. Uh, again, so just immediately John Williams with his music just telling us this isn't going to go well. <laughs> right, exactly. It, it is a, an interesting, very interesting uh, choice there, but I think it works perfectly. Uh, you know, magnificent, aren't they? It, they are, but it's also a bit terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. and then we go to the wonderful pastoral regions of Naboo with waterfalls and wildflowers and giant, you know, tick creatures. Um, <laughs> so- <laughs> what are those called? Called shacks. shacks. Yeah, shacks. Um, 
Well, like, you know, again, I kind of insinuated this earlier, right? That the volatile nation, na- uh, nature of Anakin is, you know, the scene opens with him. Clearly, he's, he's asked a question off, off scene. Um, he's, he's inquiring about her romantic past. And she initially doesn't want to share it. And then, you know, he kind of he he keeps he keeps after it. So she tells him and then he gets all pissy like he's such a butt like those (laughs) like those are the moments where I'm like, I just don't understand why she falls for him because like, yes, he's super good looking and energetic, but he's he's so like he just gets so pissy so quick. Like I just I find that super unattractive um, in in a in a personality. But all that to say, like, um, I do like that the fact, though, that Padme I mean, it establishes clearly that, like, of course, Padme has had romantic feelings, you know, like she's not an automaton like she's, um, you know, she's she's certainly open to to those feelings. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you were talking earlier, that's just not high on her priority list. Um, But again, it's just it's just ridiculous how how upset Anakin gets. Oh yeah, and and she's totally teasing him and and needling him with it, and and he gives her the reaction that she's looking for, I think. But yeah, he he does seem to be to take it a little bit harder than maybe he should have. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. And of course, he retaliates with the the joke about politicians. You know, he likes two or three, but he's not sure about one of them. Um, so. <laughs> well, That's... And, yeah and then that conversation opens another kind of naivete of anakin's which is mm-hmm. you know she invites him you know how would you how would you foresee the system working i mean he basically just he describes a democratic republic <laughs> you know like um it, that's i mean it's just, it's essentially what we have in america ideally and um and she just points out yeah that's great like that's what we try to do but a lot of people don't agree and just like his flirtation with, okay, well then they, they are made to like that flirtation with dictatorship. Um, I think when he first says it, he is serious. I mean, he kind of, mm-hmm. he kind of flips it into a joke, but he is very serious you know, someone wise, like in his mind, you, I, I almost feel like you can, you can just see him picturing Palpatine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe Padme. But Palpatine's Hmm. definitely in mind there, you know. I think he would have been okay with either of them, but, you know, Palpatine's the one in the chair right now, so he's likely the one in Anakin's mind uh, Hmm. for that that honor, uh, if you will. Um, Which is ironic, uh, considering what's (laughs) about to happen to Palpatine later on. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I would agree with you. I think initially he he is, you know, fairly serious about that uh, that assertion that they should be made to agree. Mm-hmm. You know, because and and Anakin's reasoning is because he hates the 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 fact that nothing ever gets done and they just argue. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the implication is what it seems to me is he he you know nothing ever works because they just sit there and argue. So they should be made to do something. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a, an evil intent at all, uh, but it is a very naive one. Um, right. And, and Padme being in that world is like, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than that. And, you know, it's messy. Democracy is messy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, 
Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, obviously he has to turn it into a joke so that he doesn't make her too mad. Um, <laughs> but she seems to still question it a little bit. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. That like little shot of her kind of just like leaning forward into the camera, looking at mm-hmm. him in a certain way, like inquisitively right before it breaks to them, him riding on the shack. But yeah, I mean, it, she's mm-hmm. just like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's a good Anakin. It's a good thing. You're a Jedi and not a politician. Right. Uh. Cause you suck. <laughs> Um, but, but then, you know, but then the scene breaks into this very playful moment again. And, and, um, the music again swells. Like, I love this piece of music, which is something I talked about with, when we started our attack of the clone celebration by talking about the soundtrack. Um, I love this piece of music. I love just this very playful rendition of across the stars. Um, and, and again, like to me, this is, I mean, this is the only evidence clearly given in the movie and i still think it's a little weak, but again, this little shot here is just they can have fun together again. And that's that like being able to be playful with, with a partner is so important. So of course she's having a great time here. Um, But it's also coming off of a conversation where he just was very okay with like dictatorship. (laughs) So like, it just like the balance needs to be better in my opinion, but all that to say, I do enjoy this moment. It's a very fun, Mm -hmm. lighthearted, playful moment. And, you know, then he, you know, feigns being injured and they just roll around. I mean, it's so corny, but it works so perfectly. Star Wars is supposed to be corny. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, they're they're just having fun. And every time I see that scene, I just think of uh, Lion King and and, uh, Nala saying, (laughs) pinned you again. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Love it. Love the reference. Oh, no, it's a, it's a good one. But yeah, I do like this scene because it, it does give us a moment where Padme, you know, literally and figuratively gets to let down her hair mm-hmm. um, and and just experience life for a minute, which she's probably realizing she hasn't done in over a decade. So, <laughs> or at least not very, at least not to this extent, you know, so it, it's... And the fact that Anakin is able to kind of pull that out of her is probably very attractive to someone, you know, but he, like, like you said, it is right off on, right off the, the heels of an awkward conversation. But, you know, you can imagine there's a time skip. They probably finished lunch and then, you know, did whatever, but, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but then we back to detective Kenobi, um, mm-hmm. And uh, do you know the names of the creatures that the Geonosians or the Geonosians, the Cam- the Kaminoans are are riding that come up out of the water? Awa. Awa. Yeah. Awas. Yeah. Okay. There. So I did you know that those were created by Ralph McQuarrie f- to fly around uh, Bespin Cloud City? I think I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I figured you probably did. I'm sure many of you yeah. listening did know this, but I just always think that's a neat fact that just again, a reminder that all, all the way back in the prequel era too, nothing goes unused, right? Like <laughs> these things that right. Ralph McQuarrie drew up, even if they weren't used in the original trilogy, they have continually found their ways into star Wars storytelling. So it's just neat to, I mean, you can see, I mean, there's plenty of art around these things, you know, back from the empire strikes back storyboarding days of these things flying around cloud city. So it was neat to see them, you know, being used on Camino like this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always thought that was cool. Um, and that's a cool way of, you know, getting around because th- these things can fly, they can swim, you know, it's probably more reliable than, you know, some, you know, mechanical transport sometimes, you mm. know, if you're just 
needing to get from one end of the city to the other. And you don't want to walk the whole way. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and if you don't have access to the secret tubes in the, in the under levels, like Omega does. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're secret for a reason. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but then of course, Jason, we get one of the most iconic scenes from this movie. And one of the most beloved scenes I would argue from the prequel trilogy is this confrontation between Django and Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. It's a scene you and I have talked about a lot over a long period of time. Um, yes. It just, you know, it's the scene of them sizing each other up. And uh, I don't, I don't really have much to say about it because we've talked about it so much before, except one thing that really, again, something new that kind of hit me as I was watching it this time is after the confrontation ends and Obi-Wan leaves, gives one last look over his shoulder. We get that close up of Django. You know, he says to Boba, like, pack of things. We're leaving. Um, the, I, it just kind of hit me this time. It's like, all right, why is he in such a rush? And it's not because he's afraid of Obi-Wan or he's afraid of getting in trouble. And this is just my interpretation. I'd be curious if you see it this way. Um, I actually think it's a way of protecting Boba. Uh, I think like he understands that his little, his little safety net here on Kamino is no longer safe for Boba. Like, again, Jango's not afraid. Like, that's very clear. Jango's not afraid of anything. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. He ain't afraid. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But the one thing that probably does scare Jango is a threat to his son. Um, and I don't think he thinks Obi-Wan's going to kill Boba or anything. But still, like, this this protective safety shell of Kamino has now been discovered by the Jedi. Uh, implications are going to get big now. So, to me, I just kind of, as I watched it today, I was like, oh, like, yeah, he says it sternly, but I think it's almost because he wants to protect Boba. Yeah, to an extent, I, th- to an extent, I think you're right. He, he wants to, to protect Boba. He wants to, you know, protect himself, obviously, because uh, that way he doesn't get separated from Boba. Uh, I also think it is a loyalty to Dooku um, oh, as well. Okay. Uh, I, I would suspect because, you know, he is a bounty hunter. Dooku is the one who hired him, mm-hmm. you know, man called Tyrannus and one of the moons of Bogdan. That is Dooku. Um, that is who hired him for this job and was probably his contact with Newt Gunray for the job uh, to kill Senator Amidala. Uh, so I think he's got a loyalty towards Dooku as well. He wants to make sure to protect that connection and that trust that has been put in him because you know that that's part of his job you know mm. so I, I it's a i think it's a, a a couple of things um like there's a lot of layers in this this scene between the two of them as they, they size each other up they they are you know figuring out exactly who each other is why they're here um, but as Obi-Wan walks into the room, you can even see him like his eyes flicking around the room, taking in everything, all the little details around the place. You know, he's, he is definitely on the hunt and he's found his quarry and the quarry knows he's been found and will not go quietly. And it's, it's sort of like, you know, two creatures in a clearing sizing each other up and sort of like, you know, posturing a little bit, uh, but in the most polite way possible because Tan Wee is present. <laughs> so, 
Well, let's go back to our love story, I guess. I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have uh, George loves to talk in the, the uh, if you ever listen to the director's commentary of the movie, he talks about how for him this scene is it's the the temptation with the, you know, the fruit in the tree of of Eden. Um, you know, this is the 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 temptation fruit. Um, but to me, it's also, you know, this is Anakin just showing off. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. so he's he's essentially 19 years old in this movie. He's a young adolescent who's also a Jedi. Um, so has had a lot of uh, he's had really nothing but romantic suppression in his his, his young life. Um, but to me, like any teenager, and I've worked with enough teenagers to say this, if a teenager has a particular skill, they're going to want to show that off to someone they're trying to suit. <laughs> um, and that's to me all 100%. this is. 100%. So, yeah, I, I learned how to play guitar when I was 17. And the main reason I learned to play guitar is because I didn't know how to talk to girls, so I figured this would help. Um, that was the only <laughs> reason. It wasn't because I was like a deeply passionate musician. It was because I wanted to be able to talk to girls. So I learned to play guitar. So, yeah, if I knew how to use the force, I would definitely be using the force to pull pears and cut it up for people. Um <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. You know, he's got a certain set of skills and he's going to show her how he can use them, how he's mastered them. Right. You know, (laughs) even if it is a little corny. Um, But hey, which which one of us guys in trying to impress uh, a girl hasn't been more than a little corny and awkward uh, in (laughs) in our advances? So. Uh, um, but yeah, then we get to the fireplace scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we get this and beautiful Shakespearean dialogue. Yes. About not being able to breathe. The thought yeah. of the, the thought of not being at celebration. I can't breathe. <laughs> can't breathe. <laughs> um, so and this I'm is I'm haunted by the never mind, I'm not gonna try and can yeah, that well, one. <laughs> haunted by the kiss you should have never given me. You gave her the kiss, bro. Stop trying to put blame on her. Um, but all, but but uh, something our friend Jazz uh, he pointed this out to me years ago when we were watching the movie one night that he's always loved that that line I can't breathe the thought of not being with her how the first breath Darth Vader takes is right after Padme dies and I was like oh that's so good yeah that's so brilliant. So Anakin's sort of right, <laughs> kind of predicts it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the first thing Vader asks about is Padme. Yeah. She all right. And she's not. She not. She did. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, this scene is, is I mean, it, it is awkward and I think it's supposed to be awkward. Um, it's Anakin pouring his heart out the best way he knows how. Um and uh, for, you know, he, he just feels so tortured by these emotions he has. And the one line that I've always like that I've always been like, yeah, I, f- I can feel this is uh, when he says, if I wish I could just wish away my feelings, you know, um, I've been there in life. I've been there in places where it's like, yeah, I wish I just didn't have to. I, I wish I wasn't feeling this right now. Um, and Anakin is just so torn up by it because, again, like he knows he's not supposed to be acting on it. He knows that this is not allowed for him. And yet it tortures him so much because he wants it so much. And 
again, like Padme has to be the adult here. Padme has to be the one that says, no, you're a Jedi and I'm a senator. And to me, her making that delineation isn't, again, to say like it's off limits for both of us. It's off limits for you, Anakin, as a Jedi and especially me as a senator. Like I can't be sneaking around. I have a, I'm a public figure, right? Like mm-hmm. so the the implications aren't so much that it's problematic that she has romantic ties it's problematic that she has romantic ties with someone who's not supposed to right right um right and the fact that you know as a senator she's a very public figure which means that any sneaking around he might try to do is likely to you know going to get caught mm-hmm. um because she is so prominent uh and she you're right she does have to be the adult and she flat out tells him i will not let you give up your future for me because mm-hmm. you know if if he follows this out he will be expelled from the jedi order as obi-wan yells at him on geonosis later on in the movie um so <laughs> she knows this yeah and she doesn't want to be responsible for anakin you know essentially being tossed aside by the jedi when she knows how important it was for him to be a jedi in the first place Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think in a, in a weird way, this, I shouldn't say weird, but in a very adult way, this is Padme's way of expressing how much she does care about him. Is she cares enough mm-hmm. to understand that like, yeah, I do have feelings for you. I know you have feelings for me, but we both have higher callings and it sucks that we can't be together, but we have higher callings. Um, yeah. So again, I mean, that's, that's just, that's the voice of wisdom. Um that I, I mean, obviously, eventually she's going to relent. Um, but yeah, again, it's in this moment where, uh, you know, it's it's such an intimate scene. Um, you know, I I've always appreciated that it's a beautiful fireplace because I think the fi- to me it's just like that fire is it's it's just symbolic of of that the 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 fire that exists between the two of them. Um, and yeah, I, I burning right below the surface. Yeah. (laughs) I I always remember a piece of advice, uh, a a college chaplain told me when I was in college, uh, when I had some very wild emotions, he said, you just, Carl, be careful with your emotions. They're like fire. And once they've caught on to something, it can take a while to put them out. Um, and that's, and that's, what's going on here is Padme is trying to dampen those flames. It's just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I get it. I feel it too, but we have higher callings. Yeah, and and Anakin, in this moment, you know, seems to take that and you know reluctantly goes along with it. Yeah, you know. Yep. But yeah, it's you know it's the most intimate scene I think between the two of them, and you know they're both very you know both you know. It's 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 not a a happy go lucky scene, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it is the scene where they are the most honest and open with each other in this movie. Yeah, yeah, up to that point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, well, uh, then Obi Wan calls the old folks home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so great uh, that that's the code name. Love for it the, for the council chambers. Yeah, the old folks home. Um. Yep. Crumble Code 5, care of the old folks' home. You know, let's mm. go to right to Yoda's chambers. Um, <laughs> yep. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what do you, th- you know, but what about this, though? So 
uh, Mace Windu, you know, admitting that their ability to use the Force has diminished. Uh, what's up yeah. with that? I mean, you know, it's something that they've sort of alluded to uh, a few times, um, especially earlier on, you know, in the the office of Chancellor Palpatine, you know, the dark side clouds, everything impossible to see the future is um, Yoda admits. And, you know, it, it, that is, you know, what is, I think, causing a lot of the problems for the Jedi to, you know, use the force and to sense things through the force. Um, and, Palp or uh, excuse me, Mace is is his first reaction is to say we should tell the Senate mm-hmm. that you know our our ability to use the force is diminished and Yoda whether I, I think it's wise uh, in terms of sort of a, a, a PR and uh, in a way to protect the Jedi and their their current standing in the galaxy uh says you know no we shouldn't because if we do we'll just get more enemies that way multiply our adversaries will um which is true but it also is what gets them into the situation where the jedi are leading squads of clone troopers in a galactic war in just a few days time Mm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, this is a scene that I again, the novel really enhanced it cuz it's a bit longer and and more drawn out. But even in the movie, I mean, I remember even I remember the like the early days of seeing this movie 20 years ago and just being like, "Whoa, wait, what do you, they can't use the force? What does that like what does that even mean?" Um and uh but again, it like it's just kind of in connection with the fact that the dark side is just so prevalent now that they really are struggling to to kind of see see beyond it um and tap mm-hmm. into it um so yeah it, it, it it's super important scene but yeah yoda's right like yoda's making the right call like don't make this public <laughs> you know right it, it is the right call but it also is it, because it's the only call in this situation uh but it also is the call that ensures that they will be leading clones so it's a no win situation for the jedi and that's the the impressiveness of Palpatine and the Sith before him, all their plans of how they've manipulated the galaxy, clouded the force, gotten this close to the Jedi without them knowing and are, are directly uh, influencing things around them. Uh, it, it is, it is a, you know, it speaks to the ability of Palpatine mm-hmm. uh, because he has worked them into a, a corner where they cannot escape from. Yeah. Good point. And, and the Jedi for all of their faults and foibles really don't have a choice in many of the decisions they make in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they're still a very, you know, at their core, uh, they're still working for the the good, and they're still a very noble minded uh, organization. But they are making choices uh, because they don't have any other options. Yeah, and that maneuvering has been done outside of their walls in mm-hmm. many cases. Yeah, I mean they've become such a reactionary force. 
Right? Exactly. Yeah, they're always having to respond to things as opposed to ever having uh, any any foresight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we we finally get a scene with Anakin having a nightmare. He's obviously talked about them in the movie, but this is the first time we see him have one. And one of my favorite things that George added with the Blu-ray release of the movie was Shmi actually yelling his name. And before that, I was just Anakin going, no, mom, no, mom. I love the addition of Shmi's actual yelling of his name. Um, it just yeah. makes the scene so much more intense and really helps us as the audience to even feel how real this must be for Anakin. Um, I mean, she's really calling out for him. He really hears this and, and, and he needs to act. That's, you know, what this is all about. You know, I don't have any choice. I mean, he does have a choice. Um, he's, he does have a choice and he's, but this is the one he's making and he's just trying to pretend that there aren't any other options. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he could call, he could call Obi-Wan and say like, I need to go to Ted. Like he, he could do things where he's more transparent, but he himself is just so, like knee jerk. Like, it's just like, okay, it's, Mm -hmm. it's gotten to the point now where I can't just keep having these nightmares. It's getting real. I need to go. Um, he's impulsive, but he's also been having these nightmares for weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. And he tells Padme when she comes to check up on him that I see, I see her as clearly as I see you now. And you combine that with just the screams of agony that, you know, we heard, Shmi, you know, saying in the nightmare, you know, if you're having that same dream night after night for weeks, you know, what else are you going to do? You know, yeah. he is impulsive. Yes, but it's a reasonable impulse at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and so the two of them decide they're going to go to Tatooine. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I th- you know, Padme's decision to go with him. Um, And this is again, why I'm really bummed that we didn't get any of the scenes with her family. Uh, Cause it, it would have shown just how important family is to Padme. And uh, cause as it stands, it's like, why is she choosing to go with him? Why is she choosing to be this impulsive with him? Um, Again, I, I don't really think the evidence is there for why. I mean, it's just, she goes to go. Um, But I think for Padme, it is she genuinely cares for Anakin and his relationship with his mother. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well, and now we have this, you know, the, that great uh, these great canon stories by E.K. Johnston about Padme. And, you know, after the events of episode one, she actually sends, you know, Sabe to Tatooine to try to free the slaves, try to free specifically Shmi Skywalker. Um, yeah. So so Padme has always cared about Shmi's plight. Um, and that's that's something I love that E.K. Johnston explored in, in her Padme books was mm-hmm. because Padme had never really experienced it. Right. Like, you know, slavery doesn't exist in the Republic. Republic doesn't exist out here. Privileged girl. <laughs> like, right. Um, you know, so but but, you know, what does she do when she gets humbled like that? She goes into action. Right. She, she when she goes back, you know, the Queen's shadow story is all about sending Sabe to Tatooine to try to, to help the plight of these enslaved people. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess, so I say all that to just be like, all right, I guess it does make sense that Padme goes is she does genuinely care about the plight of, of Shmi. Um, and, and she, she knows- spent, you know, the better part of a week staying at Shmi's house, you know, at least a couple days mm-hmm. staying in, in Shmi's hobble and, and getting to know her. Um, and it was a, you know, impactful enough moment 
that it's probably part of why she agreed to become a senator when Queen Jamilia asked her to after uh, she stepped down from being queen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so that she could help people like Shmi, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense yeah. that she would go. Um, well, then we get the iconic fight between Django and Boba. Nope, not Django and Boba. Django and Django Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. <laughs> Django and Boba versus Obi-Wan. Boy, that would have been uh, an awful scene of domestic violence, just Django beating up Boba. <laughs> like, oh my geez. God, this movie just got dark. <laughs> oh, as if it wasn't dark yeah, enough. I know. Um, <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> oh, um, man. But yeah. yeah, the rumble in the rain, it's such a fun scene. Uh, it's it's great to see a Jedi go up against a bounty hunter mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, so equally matched. Um, you know, the Obi-Wan is, is doing everything he can to just stay on his feet and keep his lightsaber in hand. And Jango is having to use every trick in the book that he's got to try and take Obi-Wan down. And still they end up in a stalemate. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it- yeah, it just it it makes me appreciate more the line Qui Gon says in Episode One to Anakin. You know, um, when Anakin's like, "It's impossible to kill a Jedi." I wish that were so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just a reminder that like the Jedi are seen as kind of these superheroes, like you know, unbeatable people. So it's really important to see that a complete non Force user can go toe to toe with a Jedi. You know, yeah. Um, it takes to, some serious you know, skill for sure, but at the same time, like you can kill a Jedi. <laughs> you know, yeah. It takes a lot, but you can kill them, right? Um, but not Obi Wan. Uh, <laughs> no. no. In fact, Obi Wan's going to sneak back and throw a tracking device on the hull of your ship right as you take off, um, and smack your head on the the door jam. So, um, which is probably why Django missed Obi Wan coming back is because he hit his head. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Well, uh, we 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 go back to Tatooine. Uh, we go to Watto's shop, and um, is it the same shop that he has in Phantom Menace? Is is that implied that this he still has yes. the same shop? Okay. Um. Interesting that he's sitting outside, though. Right. Like you don't go into the shop. Maybe he's more of a peddler now because of you know his his station, uh, having have lost everything. Um, what's interesting to me though, is that what causes him to recognize Anakin? I mean, he knows this is a Jedi by the way he's dressed, but he recognizes Mm -hmm. that it's Anakin because of his mechanical skills, which I just think is really neat. Like just a reminder that Anakin has such a skill at building and crafting and engineering that that's what it takes for Watto to be like, Whoa, that's, that was the revelation moment. Yeah. It was the mechanical skills. And he asked about Shmi and it was like, Oh, oh, it's, Anakin, Annie, Annie, nah. And like at that exact moment where he starts to put it together, I love the fact that there's just a fly that just right on his nose. (laughs) Um, It's just one of those stupid moments that didn't have to be in the movie, but I absolutely love it. Um, I'm sure. But yeah. I love it. It's so good. It's so good. Watto is such a great character, and I'm so glad we got to see him again. I love his, uh, I love his hat. His pit, his pit droid hat is great. Yes. So good. Yeah, I think Watto is one of my favorite uh, character designs f- from the prequels. Uh, he just he, uh, he looks so good. Uh, but I like how destitute he looks here, right? And there's always been yeah. a part of me that, like, 
almost feels bad for him. But then I quickly remember, no, he owned human beings. Like he was an enslaver. Like I don't have pity for him, but you almost have pity for him. <laughs> like, right. Um, right. Uh, you know, and, and there's no evidence to suspect that he abused Anakin or Shmi at all. Um, you know, at least not to the extent that the huts would have or anything like that, but he did own them. Uh, so it's, you know, he is pitiable within reason, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah, not uh, too much. Not too much. Not, um, not too much. But he does give us the lead of where to find Shmi. You know, so much of farmer named Lars. At least I think it was Lars. Believe it or not, I heard he freed her and married her. Can you believe that? <laughs> so. No, I can't. Where is she? Uh. <laughs> Oh, oh, some long ways from here. On the other side of Mos Eisley, I think. I'd like to know. Yes, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go check. A, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get on the wrong side of Anakin anymore because he's not a little kid and he's got a lightsaber now. So he could he could beat me up. <laughs> yeah, uh, he could de-win you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then we uh, we get a chase scene. I don't have much to say about that because chase scenes bore me. Um, except- I, mean, I I enjoy the the scene through the asteroid field. I think it's fun. Um, it is the only space battle we get in Attack of the Clones. That's true. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's just a one on one fight between Obi Wan and uh, Jango. Obi Wan I think has picked up a little bit on some of Anakin's piloting skills, um, but he still says he hates flying. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we'd be remiss not to mention how awesome the seismic charge is because it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Love that they absolutely. brought that back in Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, this is just a it's a one on one dogfight, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And it it is a reminder that while Obi-Wan doesn't like to fly, he's pretty darn good at it. <laughs> he definitely is. He's good enough to fool Django into thinking that he blew him up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Excuse me. No, you're fine. Uh, so, <laughs> I guess we should uh, head over to uh, the the Lars homestead. Mm, indeed. I love I love that. Just why again? Just it's a very like Lucasian shot of Anakin and Padme walking towards three PO. As he's working with a uh, a treadwell a treadwheel, uh, which is of course the, the uh, a droid that we see a lot of in A New Hope, um, but uh, yeah, as Anakin shows up and recognizes three PO, uh, I noticed this for the actually for the first time while I was watching it this afternoon. Anakin kind of smiles when three uh, PO like exclaims, "Oh my, my maker." And to me, like Anakin is so pleased to see three PO completed. Um, I think there's there's just like a little moment of joy for Anakin that that this droid that he gave his mother is still with his mother. Like he made this for for his mom, and she, he's still with his her his mom. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a you know, it's a, almost a relief for Anakin because you know he's had all these terrible dreams about his mother. And that the first thing that he finds when he comes to the place where she's supposed to be is 3PO, uh, an old childhood friend, something that he built 
to help Shmi. And if 3PO is still here, then he's probably still helping Shmi, which means that she should be here, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Right? She's no? supposed to be here. Oh. Uh, well, then he he can he meets his uh, stepbrother. Um, and uh, <laughs> played by, of course, Joel Edgerton. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, super excited to see more of him in, in the coming weeks. Um, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, Anakin is just so distraught this whole scene, you know, as and mm-hmm. as Klieg is telling the story of what happened. Um, you know, there's it, it. Well, I'll just say this, because this is this is what at least stood out to me this time as I was watching. Um, when Anakin stands up determined to go save his mother, because he will not accept that she's dead. Um, mm-hmm. That is a reality he is not willing to face. Um, and as he stands up to leave and, and Klieg says, where are you going? The way he looks at or not, Klieg doesn't say that. When Owen says, where are you going? When Anakin looks at him, watch like there's this flash of disgust that lasts for like a moment, but it comes over Anakin's face. Like he's almost disgusted that they haven't gone out and tried harder. And again, that's my interpretation. I don't know if that's exactly what's meant to be there. Um, Cause obviously the very next scene, he says, you know, these are good people. They can still be good people and you can still be disgusted by them. <laughs> um, I mean, there's just right. like, there's just like this look of like, just like quick fury. Like Anakin is just so bothered yeah. by the fact that they haven't gone back out, like that they, ha- they're not trying harder and that they're just admitting she's gone. Yeah, where where are you going to find my mother? What kind of question is that? You know, yeah. Why wouldn't you be out there? Right, is almost the challenge. Um, when of course you know, as we're told, they did. Thirty of them went out, only four came back, and we got that great scene in the novel that really described the massacre of what that was. Um, but yeah, they, they tried. But they're also survivors, you know, moisture farmers are survivors. And, you know, at this point, uh, you know, it's not likely that they will find her alive. So they just have to keep moving on. Mm -hmm. That's the way that their life goes as moisture farmers and, and settlers here out in, you know, the wastes of Tatooine trying to collect and sell water, mm-hmm. you know, that's a great point. Uh, mm, sorry. You know, they, they, they don't have the luxury to just keep trying. Yeah. Um, because they still have to survive. And it's part of the risks of this life is that you're going to have dangerous encounters with Tuscan Raiders or maybe crate dragons or other creatures out in the desert that you know or just the desert itself mm-hmm. um you know it's expected as settlers and that they're going to have suffer losses of life unfortunately it's just the way the life is uh for people like that they don't have to like it but they do have to live with it um yeah and and anakin is just so incredibly passionate that uh, he has to go out and try it himself um, without really any sort of acknowledgement of the plight and struggles 
that they've gone through. Mm-hmm. He recognizes it because he, he knows people like this. He grew up around people like this, but he doesn't igno- acknowledge it, you know, except yeah. to maybe Padme when he says that they're good people. Right. But now he has to do this because otherwise his nightmares will haunt him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I just want to reiterate what a great point that was about who the Lars are, right? Like, they have to just accept that these things happen because they live in such a dangerous climate. And in order mm-hmm. to continue living in that environment, sometimes means you just have to let go of things that you've lost. Um, so in, a, in an interesting way, they kind of modeled Anakin a fact about life that he can't seem to accept that sometimes right. in life we lose things. And when we lose them, you have to learn to, to let go. <laughs> That's something Anakin yeah. is clearly not capable of. Right, and something that he struggles with even into the next movie when yeah. Yoda tells him that you have to let go of thing, everything we fear to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and as he kind of – I've always loved the shot of him speeding off on the on the swoop bike. Ugh. It's just so cool. Like it was so neat to see that like realized on screen. Um, yes. And uh, Duel of the Fates comes in. Just again, just musically, John Williams calling our attention to – What's about to go down is going to be very, very important. The fate of this 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 character, the fate of Anakin's soul is at stake here. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the just the other little thing I love is the shot of him uh, chatting with the Jawas again. It just I just I love because it just shows that Anakin he knows this planet right in the same way that Padme says you know this is my planet I know it that's why we're here. Anakin knows this place. He knows who to talk to, how to talk to them, how to get the information he needs. So I just, I love that like Anakin gets to be native Tatooinean Anakin in in this little moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It is great. And it's beautifully shot. The Uh whole, uh, you know, section of, of Anakin racing through the desert is just gorgeous Mm -hmm. um, from a cinematic standpoint. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's great to see, you know, Anakin be, you know, back on native soil. Uh, but it's also just great to, to see it displayed in such a beautiful fashion. Uh-huh. And then we're back to the termite mound of Geonosis. <laughs> yep. Back to the detective Kenobi, uh, who of course in this, in, in the matter of, I mean, at most a day discovering another army being created. <laughs> right, right. Obi Wan Kenobi, discoverer of armies. That yeah. should be his title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first it's the clones. Now it's the droid army of the separatists. And oh, by the way, he also found out who wants Padme dead. It's Newt Gunray. There's a shock. Mm. Um, and it's not business. It's personal. Right. Um, one hundred percent. But business is being done now as he also stumbles into a meeting of Count Dooku and the Separatist Council as they are finalizing their agreements and their alliances together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it strikes me that this little council meeting, it's more of a war council than anything else because it's it's not a representation of all the separatists, right? There's all these planets that are leaving the Republic under the moniker of, of what Dooku stands for, well, supposedly stands for, which is, you know, this sense of freedom from the tyranny of the Republic. But you don't – I don't think these are the voices that are there on this. This is the council of the people that want to profit off the war 
and the people that are going to create the war to create the chaos in the galaxy that they can then profit from. So this is almost like a secret meeting that Dooku's having. Yeah, th- these are the people who are funding and supplying the weapons and droids. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these are those that are funding and building the army um, for the separatists. So it, it is not representative of the full separatists. As we see, you know, the separatist Senate um, or, or Congress, I forget what they call themselves, uh, in the Clone Wars, um, you know, and not everybody is as, uh, you know, fiercely committed to the idea of war as the solution between the separatists and the Republic as everyone here seems to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's, I, I just also want to mention, I, I love how the conversation kind of ends with Dooku saying, you know, the, the Jedi will be overwhelmed. Um, you know, that's, that's the enemy really. That's going to be in the way is the Jedi. And, um, and that's the thing is, is, this sense that they are going to be overwhelmed, especially because again, Dooku obviously knows there's a clone army, but he's not. He, right. he has to pretend that he doesn't. Um, so ideally, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, the only people that can really oppose us are the Jedi, but they're not soldiers. We'll be fine. Um, you know, they will be overwhelmed, but at the same time, this is perfect because, in fact, there's been an army created for them that they're going to get drawn into the war in a way they should not be. Yeah, you know the. the the line is the Jedi will be overwhelmed. The Republic will agree to any demands we make. And this is, you know, the idea that Dooku is presenting appears to be we will make a huge show of force in order to make the Republic recognize us and give us what we want. Mm-hmm. That's the that appears to be the the ploy that he is is feeding the separatists. Of course, Dooku knows 100% that there's a, an army for the Republic and it will be there to fight against this army that they've created uh, for the Separatists, but nobody else knows that. So the only people that they have to worry about are the Jedi, and there's just not enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, then we're going to close out Act 2 by looking at Anakin's time in the Tuscan camp. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, and something George Lucas has pointed out also on the on the director commentary is when Anakin jumps down off the you know jumps down from the cliff into the where the 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 settlement is. That's obviously a digital Anakin, but they he purposely had them uh, do his cloak to look like Vader's cape as he jumps down. Um, so it's meant mm-hmm. to look just like Vader's cape. And it's like, of course it is, because this is literally him jumping down into the darkness. This is him going into hell and becoming the monster who will haunt hell. Um, so, I mean, because this this is really the first act of Anakin being oriented towards becoming Vader. Um, yeah. No, so I love that George had them illustrate the cloak that way to look like to look like the, the cloak of Vader. Yeah, it's all these little subtleties that you know they they worked so hard on building into Anakin the whole way towards becoming Vader. Because how do you you know it, how do you go from Jake Lloyd to Darth Vader? Well, a little bit here and a little bit there uh, along the way, and they still like throw in visual cues 
to get us there as well, which is great. Yeah. Um, but of course he finds his mother Shmi. He, you know, pulls her off the rack that she has been strapped to. And she's, you know, weak, beaten, and finally gets to see her son again. And you get the sense, even in the movie, and obviously it's it's clearly laid out in the book, but even in the movie, that she's been holding on for him. Because mm. now she says, yeah. now I am complete. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for Shmi, she kind of dies in this state of peace. Um, yeah. Like you said, because she has been holding out. It reminds me of, of one of my my favorite prayers that's written in, in, in Scripture. It's from... It's it's from the lips of Simeon, one of the prophets in the Gospel of Luke. But he talks about when he when he sees the baby Jesus come into the temple, he says, now my eyes have seen salvation. You know, I can finally die in peace. You know, he's, he, we're told he's a very old man um, and he could finally go in peace because he's, he's seen God's salvation show up. Um, so I've always just kind of equated that scene here uh, for for Shmi as well as, you know, I don't think she ever believed she was going to live past this, but she was really hoping in some way to get to see her son one last time. And she does. So she can let go in peace. Um, Cause she sees mm-hmm. him. You're so handsome. She's so proud of him. Um, you know, she doesn't even need to know all the exploits he's done in the last decade. She just knows he's a Jedi now and she's so proud and she can go in peace. Um, but Anakin can't let her go. And, and right. then he goes out and commits a terrible atrocity. Um, and, What's wild about it again, like I just I love it that it's Qui-Gon who like Anakin's anger is just like tearing through the force itself. And, you know, it's the first time we've ever heard somebody speak from the netherworld of the force. And it's all because of Anakin's actions. And um it causes Qui-Gon to scream out, and even Yoda hears it, which and and I love how like how that scene then just sinks right up with Yoda in his meditation chamber and he hears Qui-Gon and knows something terrible yeah. has happened. It's it's like his anger has torn has rent the force uh in a way in order to even bring Qui-Gon to the place where he can communicate. Yeah. You know, whether that's 100% true or not, it doesn't really matter because that's the way it feels in this moment. Um, and all Yoda can, you know, he's trying to process the idea of Qui-Gon shouting through the force, but the thing that he just tells Mace is that something terrible has happened. He, he's feeling pain. Young Skywalker is in pain, terrible pain. He j- That is the overwhelming feeling that he is getting through the force mm-hmm. is just Anakin's pain. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's where we're going to end Act Two, <laughs> in a place of pain. <laughs> ah, how lovely! Stay tuned next week till we find out how we make it out from here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, I mean, in that said, you know, next week we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this kind of deep dive conversation about Attack of the Clones. Uh, which is perfect because uh, we'll be recording it on the day of its 20th anniversary. Um, And uh, yeah, I I just, I really hope you all have been enjoying our attack of the clones conversations this past past several weeks. Cause I know I sure have. I have as well. It's been a delight. You know, I, I always tell Carl, you never have to ask me twice to talk about attack of the clones and the fact that we have 
an excuse to do, you know, five weeks in a row on Attack of the Clones has made me a very happy Star Wars fan. Uh, so I hope you guys have enjoyed this journey uh, that we've been on as well. So we're going to wrap it up next week. Um, and then looking forward to some new Star Wars content coming out right after that. So yeah. Exciting. And content that is connected to Attack of the Clones, mind you. Yes. <laughs> so exciting. Yes. Um, but, Carl, if people want to weigh in on any of our thoughts here uh, from this episode or any of their thoughts on Attack of the Clones in general, mm-hmm. uh, where can people get in contact with us? Yeah, we're on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Wampas Lair, uh, which as of right now is the best way to stay in touch with us and to stay on top of everything we're posting. That's where I'm most active. Um, and you can always email us at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Anything else, Carl, before we close down this episode? <sighs> Excited to talk on the 20th next week, my friend. All right, just stay out of the sand because it's coarse, rough, irritating, and gets everywhere. (laughs) Uh, And with that, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 467, Attack of the Clones, Act 2. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.